with us. We have um, taken a break from our normal, going verse by verse through um, passages of Scripture. In three weeks, we will launch into First Peter and uh, spend some time there. I'm not promising how long or short we will be there, but probably longer than shorter. Um, uh, the next two weeks, Gary had prepared to uh, continue our series in Church 101. So this week was kind of a, an off week, and uh, one of the things I felt like the Lord leading me to do was to, um, to kind of preach and, and talk this morning about um, kind of our vision of, uh, of a church, and in particularly um, how we interact with the generation and generations below us. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me is we think about the times in which we live in, and as you look around our culture, if, as you look around the landscape, if you spend some time in any high schools or colleges or elementary schools, one of the things that I want you to be burdened with is that the gospel message that we proclaim, the gospel message that we stand on as a church in 10 or 20 years from now will be passed on to these young men and women that are in our midst, that are in and around us. This is one of the reasons why you hear me beat this drum so often is because um, what we see in the book of Timothy is that, 2 Timothy, we see Paul kind of handing the baton off. And what I want you to think about this morning is, are we able to hand this baton off? Are we training our young people? Are we bringing them up in such a way to where we can uh, do what Paul is doing here in this letter? As we open 2 Timothy, we see that Paul is in prison. And I want to read a, just a couple of verses to you because I want you to feel the gravity of what Paul is, is dealing with in, in the first chapter in verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And so what we see is Paul, as he is writing this, is that he is in chains. And then in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which... I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. I love these verses that Paul is saying that for the sake of the gospel, that he is imprisoned and that he is in chains. And here, Paul, in many ways we could look at him as the, the, the hero of Christianity in this day and age. He is imprisoned, but he is telling Timothy the gospel, the word of God is not imprisoned. I may be in prison, but the word of God is not imprisoned. And lastly, in chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what we see here is Paul 
aged, in prison, writing a letter to Timothy, his spiritual son. And there's a sense that when you read this and when you understand the context that this is a sweet, heavy letter. And the goal of of Paul writing to Timothy is, is to let him know that these persecutions that he faces, these persecutions that have landed him in jail, that they are going to continue. It's not going to get any easier. In fact, in our uh, passages this morning, in the context, in chapter 3, it tells us that it's going to go from bad to worse. That there are governments, they are living in a day where, where Nero is, is coming in and he is trying to stomp out Christianity, to do everything within their power to end this movement, to end the gospel, to end the people who proclaim this gospel. And again, you have here this giant of a man that God has used, Paul, writing to timid Timothy, (laughs) stand strong, proclaim the gospel, I'm passing the baton to you. Again, in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. In chapter 2, verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then in verse 15 of of chapter 2. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. These are are just amazing passages. This is just an amazing thing that we are getting to see unfold here uh, in the Scriptures. And at first glance... At first glance, as we look at this, we don't have a lot of parallels. We don't have a lot of similarities as we read this in our American context, right? Um, Nobody that you know on Signal Mountain or in the Chattanooga greater area have been put in prison for preaching the gospel. Nobody that you know is in chains in America for the gospel. Nobody is getting ready to be beheaded as Paul was for the gospel. Nobody's going to be hung upside down like Peter was shortly after this because of the gospel. However, however, what I do want you to see is that the, the, the culture, the tide, the winds of the culture here in America have shifted and the ease or popularity or um, ability to proclaim the gospel the, the way that we have for many, many years is changing. It is getting more difficult. I, I could stand up here and give you all kinds of statistics where what we're seeing is that church is becoming less popular now. 
times are going to get more difficult. And if we do not heed the message that we see here in the book of 2 Timothy, I fear where we will be in 10, 20, 30 years. One of the things I have to confess is that when I was a seminary student, Focus on the Family, this was 18 years ago, Focus on the Family came in and held this large event. And I remember sitting, they were giving us all these predictions about, you know, 10, 15 years down the road and uh, about some of the cultural shifts and changes. And as an arrogant young man, I sat in there and said, man, these folks are crazy. In fact, I remember leaving and saying, they are just alarmist. There is no way in our culture these sort of things will happen. Where churches won't stand for the truth anymore. Where culture will have sway. Where uh, television will uh, completely adopt certain agendas that are anti-Christian, anti-gospel. No way will our culture stand for that. The church will rise up. What I have to say is, man, here we are. Here we are. How wrong I was. What seemed unimaginable has started to happen. And so today, today, what I want to look at is I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 in particular. And I want all of us to think about and to think together about as a church how we can invest in the generations that are coming up under us. How we can think through, and and I want to always put out this call to us, that it is one of our responsibilities to be raising up the Timothys of our generation. The the folks that are coming behind us that are going to continue this gospel trajectory. It is the role of the church to do this. What I would love to happen with you, and, and I don't know if you think this way, and I know I'm really weird, but I love going into the nursery rooms. Um, I love going into the children's Sunday school. I love doing things like hanging out at the men's retreat with uh, the teenagers and beating them really bad in basketball, putting them in their place. It was awful this year. Oh, did I say that out loud? It was pretty bad. But... I love doing that and spending time with them because when I go down this hallway or when I go down to the youth room, when I am around our children, our teenagers, our young people, I I don't just see young people that we need to do something with so that as adults we can get on and do our business of learning. I I, I really see these young people as vitally important to what we're doing. Vitally important to what we're doing. And so, when we have these Sundays where there's nothing like necessarily planned, I love to beat this drum because it's so important. It's so important. So, what I want to see happen and what I want to continue to spark this morning is that we look at our children. I almost said our grandchildren. Your grandchildren. Those that you're not related to. I want you to see this differently as a church. So whether you're single, whether you have kids, you don't have kids, what you're going to see this morning is that you have a vital role. 
Because what we're going to see this morning in our text is that Paul had a vital role as a single man in this young man that he calls my son in the faith that he had no relation to. And then we're also going to see the role that Timothy's mother and grandmother played in his life. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that you, whatever your situation, you have a vital role. And so this message is for all of us. And so I want you to think how we can continue to press in so that when we are old or so that when we are in a place where we are no longer able to do what we once did, that we can look to that younger generation and give that message, stand firm, do it, preach the word. So let's dig in. One of the things I've already mentioned is that uh, what we see in this letter, what we see in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is that Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith, his genuine son in the faith. We first see Paul uh, meeting Timothy in the book of Acts, chapter 16. I'll just read verses 1 through 5. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with them, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So what we have is that Paul takes this young man, Timothy, with him and on, takes him with him on his missionary journeys. And what we would see if we just did a, and Gary's done this before, is if we laid out and we looked at Timothy's ministry and Paul and Timothy's ministry together that you see Timothy going alongside Paul, helping Paul out, kind of being an understudy. Paul would send him to churches and say, hey, go strengthen this church or go deliver this message for me. And then Timothy would come back and give reports. And here what we see is that Timothy had settled in in Asia. He's in Ephesus. He's in this this, this hub, this city, this very important city. And he is the elder there and he's been entrusted with much. And as Paul is writing him, Paul calls him my son in the faith. Now, let's look at the warning at the beginning of this chapter that we see. And, and see if you, as you hear this, <laughs> I, I think this will be familiar to us in our culture and in our day and age. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, I want to, just real quickly, we know that when Paul talks about last days, what he's talking about is the time that from when Jesus was ascended into heaven until he comes back again, his second coming, that the Bible speaks of those as the last days. And so, Timothy was in the last days. We are in the last days. And it's really interesting. He says that difficult times will come. (coughs) Excuse me. This word, difficult time, means hard to bear or violent, dangerous. In classical Greek, this word was used to talk about wild animals or raging seas. I thought that was an interesting picture that Paul is saying, he's not just saying, hey, you're going to face some hardships. 
This is like being cornered by a grizzly bear or a raging sea. Difficult, hard, violent times will come. Then notice what he says. Men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant. Revilers. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Unloving. Irreconcilable. Malicious gossips. Without self-control. Brutal. Haters of good. Treacherous. Reckless. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sound familiar? Have any of you watched the news this weekend or sporting events or movies? It's all around us. Verse 5, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. And then notice this <clears throat> phrase. And I want to highlight this for a reason. It says, avoid such men as these. Now, what I want to say is that in this culture, and for those of you who are really young, you won't believe this, but in Bible times, there was no social media. No TV. I saw a thing the other day where, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, <clears throat> they took a couple of teenagers and put a rotary phone, and they gave them a phone number, and we're going to give them like $100 if they could dial the number, and they didn't do it. They gave them 10 minutes, couldn't figure it out. That was a weird tangent. Uh, <laughs> my point, my point is this. As Paul was relating to Timothy, avoid the, such as these, then literally what was going on was that these false teachers or these men or these people would be around and he was saying, avoid them, live differently. What I want to say that as we are raising up the generation under us, it is much more difficult, I think, to help our children and young people navigate the waters that they are swimming in because avoiding such as these is more difficult. The agenda, the, as you read these things uh, from verse 2 to 4, you see these things all the way from the cartoons that they watch to the sitcoms that they watch, that we watch. Social media, news, it is all around us. It is all encompassing. It is everywhere we turn. And then our kids... As they're plugged in, us, as we are plugged in, this ideology is just rampant. Sadly, even in some churches, this ideology is being put forward. There are many churches who operate under the guise of Christian churches that I would offer um, really what they're promoting is lovers of self over being lovers of God, where God is used as a genie or a tool to get wealth, power, and influence instead of it being proclaimed from the pulpit, hey, use the gifts that God may have given you, whether that may be wealth, power, and influence to further the gospel. It's 
turned upside down. You can turn on the TV this afternoon and hear this kind of ideology coming from many churches. So for Timothy, so for Timothy, as the culture is shifting and as these waves are coming, as these winds, these, these dangerous winds are moving in that are threatening to overcome the message of the gospel because it's threatening to overcome and to make men like Timothy to, to go underground or to hide or to stop doing what he's doing. Paul gives a command, and I want you to hear the command, and we, we see it twice in verse 10 and in verse 14. And, and some of our translations, and my translation doesn't do it, the service that it would if pop out. So I'm going to read it a little differently. Verse 10, but as for you, my translation says now you. Verse 14, it's the same phrasing there. But as for you, or now you. There's this emphatic tone, and and what we have is that this evil stuff is coming, but as for you. I don't care what's going on out there. But as for you, you have been prepared. You have learned. Paul here is not writing to necessarily teach Timothy. What Paul is doing is writing to remind Timothy of what he has been taught. Look at verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and have become convinced of. It's really interesting. In, in 1 Timothy and Titus, this whole like you thing only happens one time. In 2 Timothy, it happens six times, two here, and then I want you to see the other two. In chapter 4, verse 3 and 5. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardships, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. And again in verse 14 and 15, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself. But you, be on guard against him. For he vigorously opposed our teaching. And so this is the command. This is what Paul is telling Timothy to do. He is saying, you take a stand. There are difficult times coming. Look at verse 12 through 13. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to to worst, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things which you have learned. Now, what we're going to see, what follows is that Paul does two things. He tells us, 
you continue, and he reminds him of two things that are really joined together, but I want to separate them out because I want you to see the importance and feel the weight of them. The first is, is notice in verse 14, knowing the things, continuing the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. In verse 10, it says, you have followed now for you, but you... You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, and perseverance. And so the first thing that I think, the first person that should be brought to our mind is Paul and his relationship with Timothy. Paul is saying to him, remember when you were with me. And remember how I acted and reacted while you were with me. Remember our relationship. Remember how God worked when we were together in the situations that we were together in. This was real life stuff. Hardships. Persecution. And one of the things that Timothy saw as he was with Paul in these difficult times is that Paul's true character or what was down deep in Paul came out. And that happens in hard times, doesn't it? Anybody can be attracted to a Christian who is going through easy times. It's easy. And I would say that when the world views us and we're going through easy times, that that's, they're not too impressed with that. What I see is that when things get difficult and the world sees us react in ways that are supernatural, that's when the world takes notice. When we get that diagnosis. Or when things at work, the bottom is just falling out. Or maybe a marital relationship is just going astray. And when those who are close to us see there's something in us different, that's when they raise up and when they see, hey, what's the reason for the hope that lies within you? And what Paul is saying to Timothy here is that you have been with me, you have seen it, Paul isn't pointing to himself. It's like he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. But Paul is reminding him of that relationship that he has with him. Notice in chapter 2, verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, see what's going on. Paul, as he took Timothy with him on these missionary journeys, and as he poured into Timothy, Paul had in mind what we would call disciple-making. Paul had in mind what we would refer to as multiplying. Paul's mission was not to create a mission for Paul or a ministry that was revolved around the Apostle Paul, Paul had in mind the ministry of the gospel and he knew that for the ministry of the gospel to continue forward that the way that God had ordained for that to happen is for him to pour into somebody else and for that somebody else to pour into somebody else. As a church, as a church, this is our mission as well. We are to be about the passing on of the gospel message. We are to be raising up men and women who can stand firm and stand on their two feet. And so one of the things that we need to be 
Uh, and I'm going to talk about this in a second. I know all of you would say, yeah, but I'm not Paul. Well, that's not a good excuse. We'll talk about that in a minute. However, we, we are supposed to be designed to be a church that is reduplicating our faith. Discipling others. Notice that it wasn't only Paul that he's talking about uh, from the verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Notice in verse 15, and that from your childhood you've known the sacred writings. So not from Paul only, but from his childhood. In the first chapter, again in verse 5, Paul says this, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. Now, in this culture, in this day and age, in a Jewish home, what we know is that in a good Jewish home, when a child turns five years old, there's really a big effort to raise up this child and to pour scriptures into him. And we see... Uh, if, you were, if you've been around, as we've talked about ministry to families, and we've talked about Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 71 and Psalm 78 and some of those uh, declarations from the Old Testament about bringing up children in the Lord, what is interesting here is in the Greek, the word for childhood uh, is brephos, which is really most often referred to as either a fetus or a nursing child. And I love this imagery. Here's the vision. And I think this is... It is clear to me this is what Paul is meaning. And the best example I can give is this. And dads, hopefully you know what I'm talking about. Fussy child in the middle of the night, or child getting ready to go to bed. One of the things, the visions that just I'm so thankful of, of, of having a, a, a godly wife and someone who loves the Lord and is, is thinking about pouring into her children and hearing upstairs in the rocking of the children songs being sung that are talking about the Lord. That is this, this idea that from an infant, what's being poured into that child is the Word of God. That Timothy's mother and his grandmother, that this is the sort of thing that they were doing. And one of the things that I don't want you to miss is that Timothy didn't, wasn't raised in the ideal situation. Who is supposed to take leadership in Timothy's home? His father. And these two women could have said, oh, you know, we really want Timothy to be raised in the faith, but you know, his dad's this Greek heathen. No, they said, you know, this is not the ideal situation, but we're going to do what we can, and we're going to trust the Lord, as we raise this young man. And God used this mother, this grandmother, and Paul to put this foundation in Timothy, to put this foundation in Timothy that would serve him in difficult times. This foundation in Timothy that when the waves came and when the culture started to crash around him, where Paul could write Timothy and say, Stand firm. Timothy had that background, had the scriptures to be able to come in and to stand. Because notice, notice in verse 10. Now you followed my what? My teaching. 
again in verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. These women weren't just teaching him, these women of Paul weren't just teaching him self-esteem and confidence. They were teaching him the sacred writings. And it was from the sacred writings, the very word of God, the scriptures, of where they were demonstrating and teaching Timothy, here's where you get your footing. This is the solid rock from which you stand. This, this Bible that we hold here today is the very Word of God. And this Bible, this very Word of God is profitable because it is free from corruption. Have you ever thought about that? It tells us that this is sacred, it is holy, that this is inspired, it's God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training, for righteousness. And this is what this young Timothy was taught. You know, it's interesting to me that it, it, it wasn't just a Timothy wasn't just taken to a classroom and taught on a whiteboard, but he was taught through life. I, I, um, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this. Um, one of the things they make fun of me around here, a lot of things they make fun of me around here, but um, uh, I will often be on the phone roaming the hallways. And they'll say, yeah, Lewis is here somewhere. He's on the phone. And I don't know why, but when I'm on the phone, I roam. Um, and so, uh, you know, as a... Uh, a counselor, there were many years that uh, still do, but don't go to these conferences anymore, uh, where I have to get CEUs, and so uh, I'd need to stand up and walk, and so I would call home or whatever, and so one of the things that was interesting is that, you know, when you just randomly walk and you act like you know where you're going, you get access into places you probably aren't supposed to have access to. It serves well in a hospital. There are many times I've just acted like I knew what I was doing, and you just walk right in. I'm Sabaji Shom. No, don't do that. But, so there, I can't tell you the number of times I've been at like a conference. This has happened several times where the presenter is talking about um, a, a holistic approach to well-being. And so they're, they're giving this approach to mental health, which I, I believe that, a holistic approach. And they're talking about the health aspect of mental health and you know, how you don't want to eat anything that's not grass-fed, that you haven't raised your own or whatever, and all the toxins that are all killing us and this sort of thing. And so I hear this great thing, and I'm walking on my phone, and boom, I run into the presenter smoking a cigarette. Or eating a cupcake, you know. In other words, how often have we been... Uh, uh, I, I shouldn't do this, but I'm already down the road a little bit... Um, or that we're, we're told from a platform on the TV the dangers, the, the horrible, um, the, the carbon fossil fuels and how terrible that they are for our environment. It's killing us all. And these same people that are telling us this are zooming around the world on private jets. A carbon footprint is way larger than mine. I should get a diesel gas guzzler for what you're doing, right? They're not practicing what they preach. What I'm coming back to is that men, women, brothers, sisters, 
as believers in Christ, what Paul is drawing attention to, to Timothy, is that he is telling him, Timothy, you know that your mother and that your grandmother and I, we practice what we preached. And I don't want you to hear this morning that to lean into the next generation that you have to be perfect. I think not being perfect is part of the qualifications to pouring into somebody younger. They need to learn from our mistakes. But what I am saying is that as a whole, instead of just maybe sitting back and complaining about these young whippersnappers and our country's you know, in, in trouble... What I want us to do is to be a place, to be a people who are preparing our young people in our homes and outside of our homes to be someone that when those times come, we can, probably not write a letter, send an email or a text message where we can say, stand firm. Where they're not having to go back and relearn something, but they're able to call to memory that which has been built up in them so that we can put out the declaration, son, even though you're not my biological son, stand firm. Know what you've been taught. Know from where it came. Lean on the Scriptures. And we want to be a place, Signal Mountain Bible, we want to be a place that does this well. There is no ideal situation. There is no ideal church we are not an ideal church but what i do want to call us to is i do want to call us to a culture here where we have this as part of who we are and part of what we are doing that we are pouring into others as god is pouring into us and that our home and our churches are equipping our kids together to stand and continue that our relationships are teaching that it's more it's it's that it goes way deeper. It goes way deeper, our relationships, than just neat interaction, but it's going deep. And I I do view things like our men's retreat this weekend as a way to create pathways into relationships with folks that we may not normally be around that hopefully, hopefully open up doors for us to continue to pour into some of these young men. I want you to think this morning about what your role may be. Some of our young people may need to hear your testimony. Some of our young people may need to hear about times when you have suffered and what God has done to bring you through that suffering. Some of our young people may need to hear your teaching. Some of our young people may need your friendship. Some of our young people may need your prayer. Some of our youngest may need you to sit in the nursery and sing to them. What a sweet ministry. Now, I hope I don't have to do this again. Of, I can't do this because I'm too blank. Old, young, dumb, single, whatever. God has gifted you. God has placed you within this body, within this family of God, for this purpose. And so part of what we're doing, part of my goal today is to push this vision to get us to 
to get us to pour into this next generation. Now, I am not ending today with some grand plan on how to do this. What I would rather end today is just by saying this. My heart is that this is just the normal rhythm of life together as a church. Where we're not creating a program, we're just calling us forth and calling us out so that this becomes who we are. And I'm going to put, um, in a good way, in in another way challenging, I'll put our uh, teenagers on the spot a little bit this morning. Because some of you may be saying, yeah, pour into us. You know what one of the greatest things that I see from some of our young people? <laughs> this just warms my heart. It warms my heart when I see a, a high, and I see this. This happens all the time. I won't single people out, but I could. When I see a high school girl or a high school boy go and talk to a fifth grader, love on them, develop a relationship with them. I've even walked into, think about this, parents. I've walked into a situation to where we've had a, a high school, I'll try not even to use the gender, a high schooler pulling aside an a elementary age kid and say, ah, you know, the way you were treating your friends just then, that's not the way that God would have us treat our friends. Who do you, th- they should listen to us. Think about the impact that has. What I want to push us towards What I want to push us towards is that at Single Mountain Bible, we are a place that takes the Word of God seriously. That we take take all Scripture seriously. And not only do we take it seriously, but it's evidence we take it seriously because we're living it out and it's spilling over to those who are around us. And that we're a place that take our relationships seriously because this is the way that God has ordained for His gospel to be protected, and to stand against culture so that the saving message of faith in Jesus Christ continues on to the generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you for this example in your scripture. I want to thank you for this relationship of Paul and Timothy. I want to thank you for Timothy's mother and grandmother. God, I want to even thank you that Timothy's home life was not perfect, was not what it needed to be, not what we would want it to be. But God, that we see that Paul, this hero of the faith at the end of his life, as he's getting ready to be killed, he's speaking to this young, timid Timothy and telling him, stand firm. God, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be a place that are developing and pouring into our young men and women so that there will be a day that we can tell them, stand firm, continue in the things that you have been taught. That where we're not scurrying around all of a sudden when somebody turns a certain age and trying to catch them up, but that God, that we can trust your spirit who works through your teachers your disciples who are implanting your word into the life of your children. God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.